0: Good morning. It's a light breakfast with Asha and Terry. And on today's edition of Intimacy in 2023, we're chatting with Sari Cooper, director of Center for Love and Sex, a practice specializing in sex therapy for individuals and couples. She's also founder of Sex Esteem, a company devoted to empowering folks with sexual coaching, group classes and developing a critical communication skill set. And she's a certified sex
1: therapist. And we're gonna jump into a loaded question right now first, Sari. What impact has social media made on intimacy in this day and age? Social media, it's in every aspect of our lives.
2: It really is. And I actually think I'm gonna start with the positive because it's morning and I wanna like get okay. people <laughs> like sort of be bright, be positive. One of the one wonderful things about social media is it's created communities for people who for many, many decades, generations have mm-hmm. been isolated. And so if you find the right person, the right expert, the right researcher, you can learn so much about sexuality. Mm. The real stuff about sexuality, Mm -hmm. the real information about orientation, about gender, about kinks, about what real romantic relationships will look like after the first sparks have sort of waned. Mm. So I want to say that in in many ways, social media has allowed us to connect directly with people who are experts that you would never have gotten to talk to or journalists or, you know, researchers. So I think that's the positive and I want to like really sort of start out with that. But at the same time, it's been a place of um distraction, extreme distraction because it's made to really compel people to keep sort of engaging with it the detriment of engaging with anything or anyone else Mm -hmm. and also there's so much um inaccurate information unrealistic information Mm. and in my field that's really important right because people Mm. come in and they say all this stuff and i'll say where did you get this information right Mm -hmm. And -and so-and-so said it or this influencer said it." it and it's not accurate, yeah. it's not reality. And then the last thing, right, is that it's become this sort of, you know, town square where people can say all sorts of hyperbolic, like really rageful things, mm-hmm. uh, hateful things, cancelling comments, cancelling people mm. outright.
1: Under the um, guise of anonymity in many cases.
2: Right. Something you would never say to someone in mm. person mm-hmm. that yeah. you feel, you know, entitled to. And mm-hmm becomes a dangerous place
0: for that. So um, all of it, right? Mm. One thing I've noticed um, that I absolutely love is when the real specialists, the ones who have the science or the experience and the sort of case studies backing what they're saying, sort of counter in those videos. Terry, you probably know there's a proper word for this where you see the video of the person sort of saying this and they could even be a medical professional Mm. saying something and it's so outrageously off Wrong, and you have the sort of specialist going. This is so wrong on many different levels, and here's why. And I love that because not only can you sort of interact with the information there, but you have specialists interacting with that person. You kind of see, oh wait, I, I need to actually look into this more myself. So I think that sort of like I don't know, self leading experience of finding the right information out is sort of there as well.
2: Right, and it's modeling, right? Critical thinking, mm-hmm. right? Modeling. Don't just believe everything that's just dished in front of you. Mm. Really take a look at it for yourself, at what the research says and what the right. scientists have said. So definitely,
0: yeah. So this is a perhaps a bit of a broad question, but in your practice, what kind of changes or differences have you witnessed over the years? We're talking about intimacy in 2023 because the world's so different to what it was just 10 years ago. So I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Sure. Uh, One of the things I've noticed that I really love, actually, is that we're getting more and more younger people coming in 20s, early 30s before they get married or before they commit to one another. And I love that because it means that I think they're not buying the, you know, sort of the hype Mm -hmm. of what relationships are from rom-coms and and are are taking like this commitment very, very seriously To iron out and really talk openly about some of the issues that they're having in their sex life. And uh, for me, I think that's kind of, you know, just very aspirational and very hopeful. So uh, I've been pleased to see that. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that we're seeing more and more of are people who want to come in and navigate and negotiate a non-monogamy agreement. I mean, I would say even five, six years ago, that wouldn't even been uttered in a couples therapy, Mm. especially couples therapy session. But now I think it's become a little bit less taboo, less hidden, and something that people can actually talk about without feeling too ashamed right mm-hmm. I mean they may not share it with their larger community but it's something that they're willing to start talking about maybe even with close friends and certainly between each other
0: which is um, the important people you should be talking to right? <laughs> right
2: right because listen we know that so many divorces are caused by infidelity that's like one mm. of the top reasons mm-hmm. and if we know that in america the divorce rate is like 50 60 percent it means that a lot of people aren't talking about monogamy right they're doing what's called right. non consensual non-monogamy that's what infidelity is right. so for people to actually come in and say we want to talk about what non-monogamy would look like like that's pretty mind-blowing and my mind, you know mind expansive i would say whether they mm-hmm. decide to go that direction or not right. at least they're talking about it
1: Having that discussion because it was never even foreseeable in the past that you could even have that conversation at all. And coming back again to the, to what you brought up a little earlier, the reason why people are able to invest and um, discover what they want out of relationship now is because they can find that subset of relationships that they feel they might belong to this day currently it's easier to find your your people
2: yeah and i also would say that you know many young people have been raised with uh parents who got divorced right Mm. so they know they i mean they've lived through it and they really don't want to repeat the same mistakes of their of their parents and so they're really trying to be I would say just responsible about if we're going to move ahead, let's talk about this stuff now.
0: I have a question actually about the other end of the spectrum. You know, people are living a lot longer, but people are still passing away. Are you seeing a sort of shift or change in terms of older seniors coming in to actually talk about how to do this new relationship, you know, 60s, 70s onwards differently?
2: Yeah, you know, well, well we get both people who've been together for a long time and then we get people who are divorced or they've lost a partner and now they're out in the world dating again Mm. and it's a whole different ballgame now with online apps, dating apps and how one presents oneself and sexuality like whole different language. But first question, I think for people who've been together for a very long time, you do have to like invest in your relationship in order to have a spark in order to discover new aspects of yourself. I mean, there's, I always say that there's many milestones in your life and Mm -hmm. many stages that you go through. And to think that like, you know, what you are and who you are when you were 20 or 30, when you got married is going to be who you are when you're 50, 60, 70 is ludicrous. We're, we're, we're beings that change and grow. And if you don't want, you know, if you don't discuss that, with your partner and try to, you know, expand together, it's going to get very stale, which a lot of, you know, marriages do get stale. Mm.
1: Sari, we're sure you're you're well-versed in the social um, experiment from the 1990s that resulted in the 36 questions to fall in love. Now, give us a little overview of this and is it still relevant today? Mm.
2: Yeah, so let me me explain this experiment. This was done by researcher Arthur Aaron. And it was three sets of 12 questions. Mm -hmm. So there were three parts to it. And with each uh, set the questions became more personal and required the person answering to become more vulnerable. And so they took people who did not know each other, strangers, hmm. and put them in the lab. And they each had to ask the other one these sets of questions. And they did a pre-test because they didn't know each other, right? right? And then a post-test. And they discovered that they felt closer to each other. They felt more friendly to each other. They felt more intimate with one another, nice. interested with one another. So a lot of people, you know, it, it became um, a viral article in New York Times, how to make someone fall in love with you. Oh, uh, nice.
0: <laughs> and I Got commented
2: it. on it on CBS this morning, <laughs> but I think this was not done in, in you know, initially about falling in love right? And so the couple is still working on the research. I mean, there's been so many studies uh, based on this, these sets of questions. And recently, they've even used this to see how it would work with people of different ethnicities with one another. Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, And they found out that In the lab, when they did these questions, people, strangers from different ethnic groups, actually had less prejudice about the other group after they did this exercise. Wait, is this
0: like a surprise, surprise when you get to know somebody? You either have a lot in common with them or not a lot, but you... (laughs) actually kind of see them as a human being because you've had a conversation. Is that so weird? But
2: they're, not, but they're not just conversations. They're asking people like, when was the last time you cried? Mm. Like These are yeah. things you don't necessarily have. These are chit-chat questions. These are really about kind of opening your heart questions. These are questions and, you
1: don't even ask someone that you may have known for years in real life and still not know these the answers to these questions, which is why you've remained with that person uh, as a, an acquaintance and not gotten deeper because you don't know these things about them, perhaps
2: exactly exactly and the other fascinating thing is that more recently they've been also using it with pairs of like a police officer and a community member Mm. in from a city that has had a lot of tension
1: wow so it can bring together people who may be under a regular or what would be deemed a normal circumstance polar opposites but they find that common ground through getting to know each other. So the othering, like what is referred to commonly as othering someone else, you stop othering them when you realize how similar you can be.
2: I think even more than that, Terry, yes and, I would say. Mm. You discover an emotional truth about yourself and about the other person. And so one of the sort of later echoes of this research is that they also are are interested in how people respond when people mm. share their utmost secrets right. or right. Parts, right? it's not just hearing them it's
0: responding to them which is empathy right right wow so this experiment could be done pretty much on anyone then you said it's strangers but it could be siblings it could be best friends it could be parent and child exactly
2: as much as I love the idea of the falling in love thing I just I, I think it's for all of us right how mm-hmm. often do we become vulnerable with people we don't know how often do we let our guard down to really open up our heart to someone we might have preconceptions about mm-hmm. and i think it's a it's a beautiful tool or technique in becoming more vulnerable with yourself too right it's not just with the other person it's being witnessed by another person
0: so in the year 2023, moving onwards, where everybody seems to be living on some sort of digital timeline and platform, how can we use social media as a tool to strengthen our intimacy? And what else can we do to do that in this day and age?
2: So it's a great question. So going back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, first of all, I think finding educated respected outlets when you're looking to learn or or expand your communication skills or sexual knowledge therapists educators researchers as a place to first learn more about mm-hmm. authentic and and also to sort of normalize the wa- very wide expanse of what is considered the array of sexual fantasies and behaviors that exist on mm. the spectrum online. And it's a great asset to uh, take the stigma out of sexual shame that mm. many people have. So that's one thing. The second thing is for people who are in relationships, I talk to them about using DMs for mm. flirting. You know, a lot of times what mm. happens, well, after the first sort of initial year or two, what we call the sexual limerence phase, uh, they limerence. start to with each other, right? They stop being playful with each other. Yeah. So I think actually being online and flirting with each other in a way in which you won't feel regretful later might be really fun, right? And as long as it's not imagery that you'd be uncomfortable with other people viewing in case... Of leaks later mm-hmm. on because, yeah. as we know, mm-hmm. revenge porn is still alive and well, mm-hmm. and I believe I think I read that in Malaysia, revenge porn can give rise to like a civil law claim or a suit for yes. privacy, right? That's right. Yeah, you know, with a warning, with a caveat, and then the other thing I would say is actually, and I do a lot of this with my clients, is putting it away. And, you know, agreeing on a time of day when you get back from work at night or something, where you put it in the front of your apartment or wherever you live, away from the bedroom, so that you can have fully present time together.
0: Right. And that also can be fully present, but doing different things the way I remember people doing things before we had these things. You know, I could be reading yeah. a book. My yeah. my best friend could be watching something on telly. But people were kind of inhabiting the same space and connecting, I suppose, in a, in a more
1: physical way, not necessarily talking. But you bring up a good point, Asha, right? Because... You're bringing up the fact that People of our age We remember a time When we didn't yeah. rely completely on technology Or so much on it We didn't know it existed at that point Because it didn't exist So we have a before and after of our lives That relates right. to this technology For those younger uh, than us <laughs> Who've grown up with technology Do you find, Sari, that there's a difference In the way we relate to each other Because of this age gap Or generation gap that's between us?
2: Definitely And I think what you were saying earlier Asha, about being like present together, even mm-hmm. if we're doing different things, there's like an energy that we have in our bodies that has reverberations with other people. So mm-hmm. even if you're both reading a book, but you're sitting on the couch together, you're feeling one another. But if you're fully engaged in this electronic device, I think that it, it's taking you away from actually feeling and being alive in your body and sensing that. So that's mm-hmm. one thing. And then the other thing I would say is that there's a compulsivity a FOMO between digital natives and people who came before.
0: Uh, which is- <laughs> That's us and them, Terry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do think there's, there's an anxiety. There's I find there's so much more anxiety for, for people who can't say off their phones. So mm. I think actually doing a cleanse, you know, people do like mindfulness retreats, but doing a cleanse, a digital cleanse every once in a while, I think is mm-hmm. so important to go oh, what is going on in my body? What is yeah. that foam actually? You know, yeah. what is that anxiety? What what am I feeling? Like, you know, a lot of kids will talk about just feeling bored, right? Ooh, because they, yeah. they haven't been sitting with themselves right. for much time at all. <laughs> you know, we yeah. had to sit with ourselves.
1: Yeah. Sari, what advice can you give to someone who's still trying to figure out what's right for them or maybe they just don't even know what they're trying to figuring out like to find that direction yeah i
2: actually think one of the things that is sort of the foundation under all of my teaching and the term that i created of sex esteem is sexual agency right is figuring out a place to be okay with not knowing and Mm -hmm. then being able to explore things that you don't know about with an open mind and compassion for yourself or and or for a partner. Mm -hmm. And so I would say sexual agency and entitlement because there are a lot of people who don't feel even entitled to even ask that question of themselves. Right. They're so worried about performing or satisfying someone else that they don't give themselves a chance to go, well, what do I like? Hmm.
1: Mm. Do you think that relates to just an innate, like it's something that's innate in someone or is it something that's that they're taught to be as they grow?
2: It's an excellent question. And the kind of work we do is what we call biopsychosocial spiritual and we all come to our being through a community through a family of origin yeah. through a religion perchance, per through our some of the experiences we have had which some of them have not been uh respected and um you know can be even traumatic and mm-hmm. so the person you've become is an amalgam of all of these things. Mm. And so I think in this world, which by the way, is also somewhat, you know, sexist and heteronormative, like Mm -hmm. there are many people who don't feel they have any space to Mm. even ask themselves the question. They don't feel like they have permission.
0: Right. I mean, if we talk about the last few generations, probably don't even think that that is something that even exists this idea of what about me it's like well this is what happens and because no one talks about it mm. you just bumble along and from one generation to the other you bumble along within this thing <laughs> called I don't know marriage or partnership or courting or whatever and it's just a, a world of hidden mess
1: right. it's not about growing into who you want to be it's growing into a role that you're supposed to fit into mm. instead of being what you want to be
2: by the way, relationships have a lot of pressure on them these days because they're asking of each other to be their best friends is ask, asking the person to be their business partner. Right. It's a it's it's a business. It's a family making unit at times. It's so there's a lot of stressors and anxieties about global you know, issues about financial and economic issues, right? So it's no wonder that so many people come in and complain about low desire. Hmm. And so, you know, one of the things we're doing is we're going to be launching a new online class in uh, January, but it's going to be sex ed for adults, and we're doing monthly meetings up until then. Webinars that are free for anyone on uh, you can find it on Eventbrite, and it's called Erotic Intimacy, uh, Sex Ed for Adults. Everything you should have learned when you were younger, but mm-hmm. still. To know, mm. and so we're it's... talking. The first one is next week, actually, and we're the first one is building blocks of desire, which is what we're talking about. A lot of people come in, and go, I want to want, but I have no desire. Right.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing with us. We really appreciate you joining us on today's edition of Intimacy in Twenty Twenty Three. We've been chatting with the director of Center for Love and Sex, Founder of Sex Esteem and certified sex therapist, Sari Cooper. Thank you, Sari.
0: And if you are interested in joining Sari on one of those mini webinars to sort of just have a peek, be curious and, and listen to what's going on. Um it's called Erotic Intimacy: Building Blocks of Are you can find that online on Eventbrite? Is that right?
2: That's it, it's called uh, Intimacy, and you can find me on Instagram, Sari Cooper uh, Official.